<laughs> um, yeah, well, we can keep talking about that. I, I was going to wait to turn it on. Do you want a beer? Yeah. I mean, okay. that's the game here, That's right? the game. So there's two um, IPAs. They're both, they're two of my favorites. I'll let okay. you choose whichever one. I'll have the other. A little something something ale. I've had, I've had that. I'll, okay. That's how do you say this one? I think I've had it, but I can't. Yeah. Cigar, Cigar City Line. is the brewery and then Jailon is the, okay. Um, but it's super yummy. Um, are you, are you an Ayn Rand reader? I am. I just read. And what I, I actually consider one of my biggest accomplishments. What, Alice Shrug or Fountainhead? I, I read Alice Shrug beginning to end, yeah. and I just finished it in in March. So who's, who is John Galt then? Yeah, who is John Galt? That's the big question. That is the big question. Uh, it, it, it was imp it impacted me. It oh, was it's a phenomenal book. In my life. I, yeah, like, I love Ayn Rand. I also have, um, which I haven't read hardly any of. It's over there somewhere. It's an oral history of Ayn Rand's life. And there's some really cool quotes from people talking about her. She's an interesting one because her... She's an atheist. Yeah. And her... Um, well, not anymore. She's not. Um, wait, she's still alive? No, she's dead. Yeah, so she's not an atheist anymore. Anyway, it's a little joke. That's right. You're right. Um, what was I saying? Oh, her economic kind of outlook is very... It's a selfish... Uh, outworking. Well, she would see selfishness as a virtue. As a virtue, right? but you, but you need to. Def she, you have to let her right. define the terms. Exactly. And I, and when I say it's a selfish outworking, I don't mean that as a pejorative at all. Um, but the problem is, I think, with her generally and her her general worldview is that she applied that to social, to the social. Uh, yeah, she overapplied a truth. I think. I think yeah. she is right about it, I, but I think, think she she's, she's right overextended it yeah. into in beyond the scope. Yeah, That's so she right. so she took all that all that um you know economics should be a, a a seeking profit and if you're seeking profit you provide a good that is the most benefit for the most amount of people and that's a good thing. Yeah. Do you follow the Daily Wire? Yeah, sure. So I, I'm a I I would say one of the I, I'm a I don't want to call myself a super fan, but I'm a, a pretty regular consumer of Daily Wire content. Same. And I especially like when they do their group conversations where where yeah, backstage uh, the backstage, yeah. and they make then they pull straight from her book, and they they recognize the goodness of profit as a motive yeah. and aren't ashamed about it. No, that's right. I think that is that's the right move. Correct. And I yeah. and I I that makes me. Like, that is the right incentive structure for conservatives, and I think... Anyway, all I have to say, they pull even... Sometimes they probably even directly reference her. Sure. Uh, and I think that's the right move. Yeah, I mean, her yeah, her outlook, her, her worldview, generally speaking, works. Obviously, applied to the social side of things, I think it doesn't. Because um, even the relationships in, in uh, Atlas Shrugged, the way... I don't know. She kind of heroicizes um, the heroine and her her lover, uh, Reardon. Yeah, Reardon. Yeah, and, and like yeah, his, his the char those characters are good characters, and their relationship is an interesting one as written by Ayn Rand. But in real life, especially as a Christian, that's not 
Mm-hmm. That's and not kids, happening. and she completely. There's not a child in the book, right? Yeah. Because because when you incorporate children into these stories, it would start to look well. All, all of a sudden, virtue takes on a whole other dimension, right? right. And, yeah. and, and, and so that's where she falls short. But yeah, 100%. but the the moral his Henry Reardon's speech when he's on oh, trial so good. is like I've read that three times. So good, it is so good, and I'm in like I'm like yeah, fire yes. out. yeah. <laughs> Finally, someone's <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I just so wish she hadn't written it so long ago. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, did you ever see the movie? So I, they're not very good. No, they're terrible. The acting is terrible. They're like almost unwatchable. They're I watched the first two, and I was like, I can handle. It. It's going to be bad, but I want. I like. It's a good like sort of second way to consume the story. Yeah, but it was actually. It's so bad. bad that I was like, I didn't actually. I've not watched the first one and then half the second one. That's right. Yeah, my so my wife. It's a three part. It's a three part. Yeah, uh, movie series. Yep. Whatever. And my wife a couple years ago watched through it, through all of them, and um, she had read she had she had read the book first, but she read she watched the movies, and I I kind of tag along with her to, through some of those, and I was I was surprised at how faithful they were to the book, for the most part, um, but yeah, the acting is terrible. They had zero budget in yeah. the shows. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was it Which was I feel bad. like you could do a movie like that with a very low budget because there's not... I feel like they tried to show too much of, like... Well, they ma- they tried to make trains in a saying. modern world. Yeah. It didn't fit. Didn't. You're like, wait. Th- like, it just didn't it just didn't jive. It either yeah. needed to be a modern industry and they tell it through a different industry, which you could do. You could do that. Or do it air, needed yeah, to be set... Or something. Sort of in a timeless, t- or set really back in the day. Yeah, which they could have done. Which trains were more, you know, more standard. But maybe that would have been too expensive. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Maybe Daily Wire Plus will make. Uh, there you we'll, go. We'll do one. We'll hold out for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I should introduce you. Um, oh right. Okay. Ryan Holloway, you are the director. Of executive director. Executive director of CareNet Peninsula, right. which is a crisis pregnancy center. In, in the crisis pregnancy center, that's right. In the Hampton Roads area, in the in the pregnancy center world, they like to they've tried to move off the term crisis pregnancy center, but oh really? What's the motivation behind that? Um, the so they'll the sort of the brand identity of the pregnancy center world is a little bit jumbled. Uh, so it's been different things at different times, and sort of in terms of the consensus way to talk about what we do but uh they they i think the thinking was that crisis sort of implies something a little derogatory toward the woman and so Mm -hmm. rather than imply that she's in a crisis and needs to be saved by a pregnancy center um which is actually true sometimes uh maybe not that we do the saving but she is in a crisis sometimes so that's not inaccurate but it is fair point like maybe more broad than that so typically uh, you'll hear the term pregnancy resource center or just okay. pregnancy center. Um, we got our name because it was we we changed our name before I came along to CareNet Peninsula from from Peninsula Crisis Pregnancy Center. Ah, uh, and that and, was the whole brand change of. Well, that was at a time at a different phase in the branding world for pregnancy centers when they wanted to try to unite a bunch of pregnancy centers together to try and have a brand identity that was competitive with Planned Parenthood. And so you would, so at the time, many, many pregnancy centers rebranded as CareNet City or whatever. 
Um, since then, a lot of that didn't work, and so a lot of pregnancy centers have actually changed their name again. But we really, we've really risen and grown under the CareNet Peninsula name, mm -hmm. and so it would it would come at a higher cost to change our name. And I'll, I'll, there's a downside to this, and actually came up today, and I'll so so I'll share it. I had somebody text me very excitedly. He, Pastor gave a huge shout out to you guys to, at, on Sunday at church, and we're raising money. Well, it was not us. It oh, was no. it was a it was the CareNet National logo, uh, uh, and then their mission statement and everything. And I'm so there is some unknown dollar amount to me of, of funding that is intended for our organization that's going to CareNet that National. goes to CareNet National that we're not we're not unaffiliated with them in the sense that we don't agree with them or anything, but like they're we're completely independent, right? And um, Every now and then, we'll have a donor that's like, I've been giving to you guys for years. Nope. And we'll say, nope. <laughs> so tough. I guess yeah, that's the downside, yeah, of, of sharing a name with... Well, yeah, of, of changing the, the, the model without actually changing the name. Yeah, so, so the, maybe the theme for the different ways these centers are referred to is that there is... That Planned Parenthood is an extremely strong brand. They're very solid. Yeah. Uh, and so there's this pressure for the volume of pregnancy centers to be able to compete. To compete with because that. not only are they a solid brand, then they also get free media at the, you know, they've got whoever at their beck and call. Sure. Any media outlet that they want to. They can, of course. They're in schools branding through their sex ed program. So there's this sort of Goliath and feeling like, hey, well, there's lots of us. We ought to be able to nibble away at their brand, but we've not quite been able to unite and do that in an effective way. And so there's been different thinking at different points, and, and it doesn't mean is that... There, is there a main obstacle that you could put a finger on to that, to that pursuit? Yes. I would actually say, but it's not, it's not an obstacle unique to pregnancy centers. It's, the, it's, it's an obstacle unique to the nonprofit world. Okay. If, if, we were for, if we were a for-profit industry, we, there would be mergers and buyouts until there's only one or two brands. Uh, but there's no incentive to do that. Right. That there's not a, and, and that's a problem in the mission world. That, that's a problem in, all, in nonprofits broadly, but in particular, from my experience, it's, it's a significant problem in the mission field sure. and in local missions as well. Because you get, for all the reasons you know why, buyouts and mergers are a good thing. You, you, you're, so we have 50-some different centers in Virginia all trying to solve the same 50 little problems. Yeah. And, you know, you might need something like the government to lobby or here. And we, I can't do that just myself. Right. Um, and, and, and so this would be another example of, uh, if we were for profit and there were two thousand of these centers, you you would see mer mergers and buyouts and potentially a, the growing of a regional brand that actually could compete. But the incentives to do that aren't there, and so it's much more difficult to pull sure. off. How many women do you guys serve, like on average, a month or a year? I don't know what a good metric, a good time frame to. to yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, any, any metric that you want to look at, that we've grown aggressively in yeah. the last 12 months. So last year, I would have said we serve uh, about 60 clients, a little less per month. So that, that comes out to, you know, about not quite 700 a year. We, we've already eclipsed that number 
2022. And we're halfway through. And we're in, it's July. Yeah. So. That's crazy. I, I, I know. So we're, we're, we're right there. We're like. Sure. So we're, we're looking at, at we've had, we have, have had months where we did 120 clients. Uh, March, we did 120. We had never done more than 80. And then wow. we've had more than 80 for like six straight months. Um, there are a few different reasons for that. We broaden our services a little bit. Um, some other things. We're we're good at marketing, and uh, we've gotten a lot better at it. Yep. Um, and so that's helped. Google doesn't like that, and they regularly talk about trying to shut us down. But for now, at least, we've grown. So so yeah. That's so, an interesting aspect of things too, of trying to oh, it's trying crazy. to and grow, just being shut down by institutional tech. Uh, you know. Uh, subversion yep and you know in the in that when you have what is essentially a monopoly mm-hmm. in Google sure there's no comment period there's no there's no there's no so when a bill gets passed you it goes to this big long months long if not years long process oh, you see, see it coming yeah okay with Google as a thief they in the just night, change it you just wake up and you say we're not there anymore we used to we used to Google our name and we were Google a search term and we were at the top and now we don't exist. We're gone. We're, sometimes you can we've even been locked out of our Google My Business account with no explanation. Really, you're just you're just with no, you can't get it and you can't anymore. appeal that. Well, you and and then they send you a little bit like what you hear about when they when they when they say you violated a Twitter policy yeah. and they kick somebody off Twitter. They'll say you violated our policies. But there's no like you don't call somebody there. Right. Like, I, there's recourse if you're you know a large company and, and eventually you can. But like we have we have been kicked off Google My Business and reinstated without ever knowing what it was we did wrong or what we did to undo the thing we had done wrong. You just yeah. one day we were off and then one day we were back on and we don't know why in either case. I know why. Right. I mean we know the right. we know the broad terms here, but yeah that that is a. Yeah. That's a huge challenge. Well, the we have our day-to-day work with the typical day-to-day challenges of what we do. We're a nonprofit. We have to raise money. We have clients that are really difficult and heavy situations in their life, and, mm-hmm. and you know all of that. And then the context within which those expected things are taking place, you have. Jane's Revenge, threatening to spray yeah. paint us and destroy us, and then you have Google, and then you have politicians that are writing letters to the CEO of Google trying to say they need to be stopped at what they're doing. You've got people talking about what you do that don't actually know about what's happening. So it's a very strange, it's a noisy space within which to operate. But That's so, yeah, it's not, it's not anything that is thought about from anyone on the outside either. I guess when I think of of CareNet, and I don't have, I mean, I'm not in in your world really. Um, I mean, in in terms of being aware of of pregnancy centers and daily operations, you know, in that that sphere. So all those challenges are things that your supporters and donors, which I am, uh, don't have any idea about. Right. And, And so, I mean, some, you know, we have good communication vehicles with our to our donors, and so it's not that we don't communicate with them. It's just that I'll give you an example. So we have a Senate, we have Mark Warner, right in Google, trying to shut us down. 
we have Jane's Revenge, mm-hmm. who's called out a hit on pregnancy centers across the country. And then if I, if I do a video that explains some of this, people say, why have you gone political? Oh, man. And you're like, well... <laughs> I didn't do this. So to clarify, <laughs> they <did> this. <laughs> we're still just trying to do the thing we want to do every day that has its own difficulties and challenges. We're very proud of our mission hasn't really changed in sure. a long time. Uh, you know, we've changed some tactics, but we're, we want to end abortion. We want to serve moms and save babies. But Mark Warner knocks on my door and says, you just, you know, I want to eliminate oh, you, you and I have way more power than you. And so, uh, and, and then the news might do a hit piece all about these things that aren't true about us. And so... It's it's no, I don't want to spend my time trying to right. But if explain you explain to Mark Warner that we aren't who we who he says we yeah. are, but I can't show up the next morning and say, well, I don't exist anymore, and I didn't do anything about it. Right. Yeah, you have responsibility to to not yeah to to your mission to to retaliate in some way or to at least defend your your or just your clarify what's true. Right. Right. And so um, so it is. You know, maybe I think pastors probably face this sometimes too, where oh, sure. you know, where where you say, "Look, you can't. You've gonna if you're gonna say my my flock can't come to my church, like at some point, my decision to respond to you is not me being the aggressor in a political space. Yeah, it's I'm you not trying to move into the political sphere. Right, I'm trying to worship as commanded by the by Holy Scripture, and you're preventing me from doing that. So, so you put me here. So I don't accuse John MacArthur of going no, political in any way. But, he, but people do. People do, but yeah. that is a that's a silly thing to say. Right, right? but I'm just saying it. like it's a universal thing. Like you you will have people, whether it's John MacArthur telling the government to, to pound sand because they're trying to prevent his church from gathering, or it's you saying you have a completely misre- you have completely misrepresented Carnet Peninsula. Here's what we are, and people saying you're going political. Like you're always going to have that. Yeah. So what? I, what they're really they they're they're they should they have a right to be angry, but they're angry at the wrong person. Yeah. They should be angry at the aggressor that won't let the Christian nonprofit just leave them alone. Yeah. I didn't ask Mark Warner to say anything about me. Uh, I didn't ask him to write Google any letters, talking about what we do for women to voluntarily come to our clinic for free. Right. And yet here we are. So, you know, I, I don't know. The, the Google piece is a much bigger threat. The, you know, the vandalism or the hit pieces on NBC News, whatever. Those come and go, and, and we can scrub off the spray paint, and we can yeah. weather the storm. If tomorrow I go to work and my staff says we're not on the Internet anymore, that's, and no one knows we're here. That's a devastation. That's another level of problem. And then I don't know who do I, who I call the CEO of Google and say, come on, man. Yeah, <laughs> give me a break. <laughs> Probably not going to real. Work, no. That's tough. So what does it look like from, from for, for CareNet, what does it look like to serve a woman? I mean, I guess that varies depending on, on the, the client. But is, like, from start to finish, what, is, what, are your, what are the services that you Yeah, provide? great question. So, so we ser- there are about 3,000 women on the peninsula every year that will have an unplanned pregnancy. Okay. And, um, and that's our market. That's who we want to serve. So... We like to say that we want to be your first phone call. Mm-hmm. And so usually our clients, not always, but usually our clients have just recently discovered they're pregnant. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're looking at that positive pregnancy test. Terrifying. And they're thinking, 
Oh, yeah, some degree of maybe it is a crisis. So, uh, or maybe it's just well, I didn't. This isn't really the plan here. What do I do? Right. And um, and so fairly early on in that process, they're going to start searching for their options and and trying to discern. You know, do, is abortion the right choice? And what are my options? And you know, all the things you might expect. They're probably going to Google to to get to the uh, to get to where they want to go. So we we will typically meet them pretty early on in that process. So, okay. so anywhere from as soon as three weeks uh, to, to oh, you know, many more weeks pregnant. But uh, we want to be a safe place for her to come and process. So we have the clinic mm-hmm. uh, on you know, the corner of Jeff- Jefferson and Thimble Shoals. And uh, we really provide two main services on that day that she comes to see us, which is what we'd call options counseling. And then the second piece are the medical services that we provide. So we have STI testing, we have pregnancy tests, and then ultrasounds. And so those are the two main things that we're going to provide on that first day. So, you know, I think some people, when they think about a pregnancy center and they maybe visualize what that might look like, you might think about a, you know, kind of a really busy health clinic with, you know, kids and you're just trying to get in to get the antibiotics from the daughter, you know, from the doctor. Well, that's not really us. We're we're going to spend multiple hours with these clients and have a, a good long conversation that may pull in a lot of different areas in their life, mm. um, and and so the client's particular situation can be a lot of different things. And so when you think about how we serve a woman, well, the first step is we really just we pour a cup of coffee and we say, "Well, talk to me about what's going on. You're yeah. you know you're here for a reason. Tell me about it." Well, I've asked her some questions lead, leading into the first consultation, but it could be anything from, you know, I'm, I don't really want to have an abortion. I'm not planning to have an abortion, but I don't really know what to do. to do. This yeah. is crazy. I, I didn't think about this. I don't know who to turn to for help. And we can counsel her and we help her and we do that. And maybe somebody that says, I'm not sure if I want an abortion or not. I don't want to have one. The, the father of the baby really wants me to yeah, have one. Or I do want to have one, but actually he doesn't. And we invite them in as well into that consultation if the mother would like. And so uh, so that conversation would look a little different. Yeah. Um, and then we provide, if they are pregnant, if we confirm they're pregnant with a pregnancy test, then they can get uh, what's, uh, what's officially a, a limited ultrasound. And, and that just means that uh, th- that we can tell... Uh, how far along they are in their pregnancy, that if it's measuring correctly. Um, one of the misconceptions you'll hear about the pro-life states is that it's that that uh, that women with ectopic pregnancies are yeah. now like, but that's it's the opposite. That that is one of the biggest. That's one of the most bald-faced lies that there are about this. Because the truth is that if you do have an ectopic pregnancy and you don't have an ultrasound, you just you just do the online abortion consultation and get pills mailed to you, yeah. that's not going to do anything for that ectopic pregnancy. Coming to see us for free and then us performing an ultrasound and then learning that you may have an ectopic pregnancy and then referring you to the necessary uh, professionals yeah. to be able to deal with that are is critical. And so the reality is that we are a great help to women it's a life-saving help to women, particularly those that may have an ectopic pregnancy, 
it's the actually it's the opposite sure. that's the bigger threat to them because they're just swallowing pills that aren't that are going to do nothing for them. They're going to continue to have bleeding and the other consequences of the ectopic pregnancy until it gets to the point that they end up going into a professional and then finding out what we would have told them wow. with an ultrasound many weeks ahead. So it's ironic that that's one of the points that a pregnancy center might be attacked for because it's completely, it's completely reversed. Yeah. It's reversed. It's right. You should be right to be upset about it, but you're upset at the wrong person. You should be upset at the person that is mailing a woman pills just based on a chat response. Gosh. I guarantee you can't learn if you have an ectopic pregnancy from a chat. Right. Uh, and so we provide an ultrasound and what we call abortion education. So uh, we will you know, factually state the options that she has for abortion, describe what those procedures are like. Certainly want her to choose life for her baby, but uh, but you know we we do not do what is typically accused of pregnancy centers, which is this sort of harsh take that yeah, you, you know these the or these this like really disgusting language that th those are not tactics that any pregnancy center that as true as they might be in some cases or morally speaking, you know we want to we like to say that we're unshakable, so we're going to stand on the truth. There's not a situation where we don't see that unborn baby as a life worth protecting. But then we're going to apply that truth with our second value, which is that we show love and kindness. And yeah. so that's, that is our MO. Um, so, that, so those are kind of the two parts, the, the, the counseling piece and then the medical piece from that first day. Mm -hmm. Our hope is that she'd choose life for her baby and we could connect her physically with, a, with prenatal care. That would be a big win. We also will, will stay with her whatever her, her potential outcome is. So if she's still planning to have an abortion, we'll continue to voluntarily, if she allows us, to follow up with her. You know, she may say, I still think I want to have the abortion. And certainly we'd say, well, okay, can we talk with you one more time? Or would you like to come back for another ultrasound with the father? It sounds like maybe he wasn't sure. Yep. So we'll do this. So the follow-up schedule would be dependent on, on, on her situation. Mm -hmm. If she chooses to parent, then we would then we that would open the door for a number of other resources that we'd have available. We we ask every client whether she wants to parent or not. We ask every client if they'd like to connect one to one with a woman from a from a the local community, a mentor. Yeah. If she says yes, we connect her with somebody from a local church. Um, so when when we think about long term care, we, we really incorporate the local church as part of that equation. We have some training then we that, that we can provide her, and then we have what we call we call it the baby room, but we have basically an entire storage unit of all types of baby supplies from maternity clothes to diapers to children's clothes, everything in between. And so we would provide those as well uh, for free to yeah. clients as needed. So. That's really good. Yeah. What um, so you mentioned that like sometimes the motivation for being there is different. It's, you know, they're not necessarily abortion minded, but they aren't really sure what to do. Or sometimes maybe they are and they're, uh, the dad isn't. What, what's like the most common motivation for them reaching out to you guys? <clears throat> Maybe that's not even a metric that's that's easy to to to, pay, to nail down. Well, I'll answer your question this way because I think it's kind of an interesting fact that we discover. So about about two years ago. Knowing Google might want to shut down our paid search ads, mm -hmm. we started doing a lot of content creation. Mm -hmm. We write tons of blogs. I've read some, yeah. We blogs for the clients. We write blogs for on the CareNet Peninsula website for donors. But then, if you were to go to 
excuse me, if you were to go to alcovehealth.org, oh, wow. we have t- probably 100, I don't know, at this point, more than 100 blogs answering questions that we think clients might want to add. My boyfriend wants me to have an abortion, but I don't. Sure. Uh, you know, how do I know if I'm pregnant? What What's it like to be pregnant in the military? Should I, is oh, abortion, wow. just everything you could think of. And our, it's our staff, the, the, the uh, CareNet Peninsula staff That's that right write these things. So here's how, to get him to answer your, your question. We wrote, so, so we wrote a blog in October, 2020, that was, um, I, I don't want to have an abortion, but my boyfriend does, or no, I do want to have an abortion, but my boyfriend doesn't. What do I do? That accounted for about 25% of Whoa. all of our website traffic, that one single blog. We, we get hundreds of leads from just that blog post. That's amazing. So I don't know that that's necessarily the number one consideration of, uh, of a client, but that of all the blogs that we've done and we've written on, on every topic under the sun, that one is orders of magnitude uh, more has more hits on it than any other content. So I think that's an interesting that's thing. That's very interesting. So I think that tells you a couple of things. One is that is that the voices on abortion, like Planned Parenthood, they refuse to answer those questions. Yep. Their paradigm is it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. The only thing that the father of this baby should say is whatever, whatever you think you is best. Yeah. That's actually a very difficult and lonely response to a woman who's trying to make a hard moral choice. Yeah, who's making trying to make sense of her entire life all of a sudden. Right, and so you're you're a you're not you're that's a cop out. Yeah, and and so the rea- so to me that says Planned Parenthood refuses to answer like they often do with many things. They refuse to see abortion in the same light that many 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 women see it. Um, and that's an example because as soon as somebody writes some content that actually accepts the idea yep. that maybe his opinion matters, it is it blows hundreds up. and hundreds and hundreds of hits a month that's just crazy. from our community. Yeah. You know, and so um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. So the point is, is that I do think um, that blog gives us a clue, which is that the people in her life, those those opinions do matter to her. Yeah. Um, typically, the situation is. You know, near the top of situations, one would be, you know, I already have, it's a complicated situation, I already have children, and maybe this is one more child that I can't handle, or maybe this is from a different father, and it's a complicated situation, and and bringing another child into this, you know, this situation is very difficult. Um, If it's a woman who's not pregnant yet, or has never had a baby yet, um, it's usually some version of... I just can't do this right now. I, you know, I have this plan, and the baby interrupts that plan, and mm-hmm. I don't want to do it. We do also get the rare cases, the one percent cases, where it's a tragic situation. I mean, and those are the hardest of the hard moments. But those are, as is often, you know, clarified. Those are the exceptions to the rule. Yeah, I, that's that's mostly why I asked the question, just because that's one of the things that's that's. That's probably the most frequent, like, argument against pro-life, um, the pro-life stance is that there are women who have been raped who have to, you know, now bear this child that they never had any thought of wanting. Um, 
but like you said, that's one percent or less of. Well, I don't know if that's is it one percent. Well, when you when you talk about like rape and incest, yeah. So those are the those are typically the the situations that are brought up as uh, you know a defense of the decision to have an abortion. Those are rare. They're very rare. Very rare. And, and we do get them, and we do have to navigate. And those are some of the hardest moments. I mean, when you think sure. about the burden of you know what that means to both clients to the staff counseling them. I mean, yeah, I mean it's a they. Huge deal. The, those are heavy, man. I mean, there's nowhere. I mean, that, my staff's in tears on a regular basis because of some of these situations. Yeah. So, um, it's not to make light of the moral situation at all or the realities. Well, of it's certainly case, not. A, yeah, it's not a trivial situation. Not so at all. It's not a trivial thing to say. It's 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 not a trivial thing to take the pro-life stance in that in that situation to say, well, this is a life. That's Correct. not a trivial thing. Um, but yeah, ultimately, it is a life that's worth protecting. Yeah, but. Th- those are not, th- yeah, those are single the, digits. And so in yeah. a year of a thousand clients, we're going to get, we're going to get a small handful of those, yeah. like under 10 probably. Yeah. The thing that gets me is that if you said we can pass a bill now that says, all right, we'll do abortions for rape and incest, but nothing else. None of the, no, none of the pro-abortion lobbies would be on board with that at all. No, not at all. Yeah. So much of the argumentation around abortion f- falls the, the moment that you start to accept certain premises, they just completely fall apart. That's a, a, an example. Oh, yeah. Another example is well, how, you're only pro-birth. You don't really care about the woman after that. Right. Well, now you want to shut down. So now, from a pro-life perspective, you have thousands of organizations dedicated to caring for the woman and the baby through this process. But it turns out, big shocker, <laughs> it turns out that actually, no, anything you do from a pro-life perspective, we are going to reject wholesale and yeah. view as evil and fake and, and derogatory. We, you actually are incapable of caring for the woman the way that that would meet our standards enough to allow you to have a justifiable pro-life viewpoint uh you know that i mean i think you you know we could we could go dig up some of uh pablo escobar's treasure and give it to her and they'd still say yeah, they'd that's, still not, say that's enough. not enough it turns out that there's actually another step you'd need to go through before we'd allow you to have your views on on pro your pro-life views justified it's the point is, it's just sort of this misdirection cop-out in the argument. All of them are, yeah. It's a, and in fact, it's an argument Christians make. And when they make it, I think they make it in a, in a pharisaical way. They're, they're literally creating a, a set the of... The argument of, of... The argument that says, hey, if you're pro-life, this sort of... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. If you're really pro-life, you'd be pro-immigrant and pro-this and pro-that and pro-that. And they're instead of making a clear-cut moral argument, they are they're doing what the Pharisees did. I yes. mean, they are saying, "I have created a set of legal legalistic standards yep. that I have created out of my mind. That you, if you were to accomplish and check these boxes, then I might allow you to take a moral stance on something." No, that's not the way truth works. No, either it's a life or it's not a life. My right. views on immigration are, however right or wrong. 
are not relevant to this, this moral position. And when you create barriers along the way that, that you've determined, you are actually, that's an evil thing to do. That's, a, that's, a, that's legalistic. That's what the Pharisees did. And I think that's actually prominent in the Christian community. Yeah, I, during the last election cycle, there was a lot of that going around. Um, and I talked to some, like some of my family members and stuff. I've, I had talked to them about some of these issues, and that's exactly what what the charge was against me, was that, yeah, you're, pre, you're pro-pre-life, uh, but once the kid is born, you're not pro-life. I mean, you don't care if, she, if, if he's born into poverty and has a, you know. It's like, well... You know, how much do you give to a church which gives to a community every month? Because I give. I mean, you know, are you part of a of an organization that seeks to, like, like CareNet, you're saying that part of your care for women is to hopefully um, introduce them to and, and foster a relationship with, um, you know, someone, a, a, someone from a church, from a local church um, to provide, you know, a stable relationship, someone they can talk to and go to when, when times are hard. Like, that's not something that's typical of the, the pro-choice movement. Those, those methods of care aren't typical of those, um, of those, that side of things. Even, even just giving in general, monetarily to communities right. or, or, I mean, Christian organizations, well, faith-based organizations, I don't know if Christian specifically, but probably probably Christian specifically. Well, out, it recently, it'll come out every year, like how much prominent people mm-hmm. give. And I want to, we'd have to go do the research. Sure. But I remember a person, a, a mutual friend you and I would know, and it came out how much Joe Biden had given to charity in like 2020. And it was like, it was like $18,000. And I was like, yeah, we all, you know, our salary is not what the president's salary is, and and we may be getting close to that number here. Or, oh, absolutely. You know, and so and like so, families like me who live, I mean, you know, we we do okay, but like it's not like we're wealthy, and you know, we give a, a significant yeah. amount of of the money I make right to our church, which gives the community. So so one, it's an irrelevant. Morality is not based right. from the start. They lost the plot it's, because they've already thrown out the idea. Right, but of then morality. if I accept your premise, right. let's go you with your lose premise. That too. You lose that too. You, there's exactly. no you, you. You. This is just words that you've chosen to say. It's that just platitudinous garbage. That yeah, that you think has made you look better, yeah. but it actually f- completely collapses when you consider it for more than a second. It sounds a lot like you're starting to make eugenistic if I'm saying that word correctly, arguments. When yep. you start saying poor people shouldn't have babies. Well, have you heard, like, the uh, what's the girl on The View? Uh, Sunny Hostin? She gave this this thing on The View uh, recently talking about... It was so dark. She, she was talking about how, um, like, people with with kids that have disabilities, that's, that's an expensive thing, and people can't always do it. And she was like, I know, I have a brother who's 57 and has the intellectual and motor capacity of a one-year-old, like I have a cousin who's... And her argument was that it would have been better for, better for everyone if they had just killed them in the womb. It's like, what are you... Do, I, I often wonder, and, and my wife and I were talking about this a couple of days ago, like, are you so, delu- are you so self-deluded that you honestly don't realize what you're arguing yeah. for? I think the answer is yeah. You think so? I think the answer is they don't... 
I think that, so I think there's a, a takeaway for anybody. Mm-hmm. It's easy to poke, point this out, it, but I think this is a takeaway for anybody. Okay. Is that if when you do what the left has done in a lot of critical spaces, it hurts you in the long run. The left has chosen, for example, in, in, in the university world, mm-hmm. they have chosen to eliminate rational, thoughtful people that yes. disagree with them yep. and, and do away with them and eliminate them and cry if they speak and make and you hold puppies if you have to hear an idea because right. because that idea is violence because you don't like it right and they they think that this allows them that that's a false sense of success because you know if you could you could kill all of your competitors in your business mm-hmm. but it would not make you better a better you know uh, contractor right. than you are today you might think you're suddenly better because you don't have any competition right now, yeah. but you haven't. You're actually you might still be just as bad as you were yes. the day before. You decide to kill all your competition, uh, and that's so, a really good and, analogy, right? And so in the short run, you think I'm the best I'm that the there is. I'm the be- I'm the yeah. best contractor there. I'm so good at this. No, you're actually not very good. You've just chosen to create a world where you don't have to compete with anyone. Yeah. And the and then the moment that Matt Walsh comes along and says, "What is, what a, is woman? a woman?" Your yeah. entire you collapse like yeah. a you know that would be the equivalent of somebody coming along, a ten year old coming along with a hammer, and then you being like, "Oh no!" Yeah. I, some some savant carpenter. Yeah. Ten. yeah. Yeah. So so my point is is that is that the left on abortion that's a is a great example. They they have so isolated themselves from alternate thoughts. They've screamed that the idea that a pregnancy center might consider other elements of a decision rather than the medical piece, that this decision may affect a woman morally. They eliminate that from even, that's not even thinkable. Right. And so when you do all of that, you think you're a way better handyman than you really are. Yeah. And you think your arguments about abortion are much more are, are coherent yeah. and valuable and even plausible and relatable to the broader well, public I think than the, they actually the, are. The darker side of that or, or the, the, ex, the extremity of that pattern is that not only do you think your arguments are good, but you think... It's like you were saying that they're very pharisaical. The Pharisees thought they were righteous. People who argue for abortion, not only—I mean, if they are being genuine in their in their opinion, which I I think, well, it's a different discussion. But um, not only do they think that their arguments are rational or arguments at all, but they think that they're that they're right in a moral sense, which is really dark, because they're because they're completely unmoored from anything. And those Good. and they are unchallenged in that, right? Right. So there's you very no, well you and I may very well believe things that are that are morally wrong, but we aren't our own source of morality right. by definition as a Christian. Correct. And then also, hopefully, we have some connection to the rest of the world that would allow us to consider that's easier to do when you're in the minority because everybody is against you and you are sort of forced to rationalize your positions. But yeah, well, I think that's a good that's a solid function of being in a in a good church too is that like I have definitely been confronted on things that I've said or or believed if, even if I didn't realize that that I believed something wrong or morally wrong specifically by people in church saying I don't think that's right and here's why and they can point me to scripture. And that's a, that's ultimately what we're talking about is having a standard by which to make all these moral claims. 
you and I have the Bible, which which we believe is the very word of God that says uh, life is to be preserved because it's it's declaring the glory of God. The left or you know pro-abortion uh, activists or or arguers, apologists in general, they have no ultimate authority by which to make those claims. They're relying on their own. I've seen how hard it was for my family to raise my brother. It's probably better if we just kill him. Yeah, right, right. Like, yeah. What did you even just say? And so, okay, make that claim. The left and the right, everyone makes crazy claims. Sure. But when you've completely eliminated the competition, when the crisis pregnancy centers just get deleted, you, you are... You, you start to think that that claim is something that, that many, many people believe because, you, because many, many people in New York City believe it. Right. But in reality, yeah, because around the world like and said, around our country, that is not a thing that people... No. When you write across your eight-month pregnant, yeah, this, this is, is not, not a, a human. Or a human right. Yeah. You, I don't know what world you're living in, but no one believes you. Like, that's a crazy claim. That's so dark. It is dark. Uh, are, do you, are, is there any secular support for... For what you guys are doing, do you, are there any secular bodies in the community that? Um, yes, uh, I would say it's I would say it's still pro life but secular. Mm-hmm. So maybe the way to answer that is sort of maybe the the nominal sort of traditional Christian values archetype. Yep, they're they're supportive pregnancy centers. Okay, so it's not simply the the very I don't think you have to be a a deeply religious person to vi- to value unborn lives, and we we do have those supporters both in our in our network and around the country. There are people that, um, and, and you know maybe even some. So I'll give you an example of of a particular challenge actually we face that relates to, excuse me, that relates to that, is that there is a. Um, if you heard any a bit of news that that in Texas there's they've given a hundred million dollars to pregnancy centers or to pro life, mm-hmm. there's there's a there's a it's called Human Coalition. There's a a pro life pregnancy center type organization. I, I wouldn't call them secular, but they are, in my view, trying to become the conservative Planned Parenthood. So they they are looking to get funded by the government. Mm. And then and then provide a pipeline that leads women to get the care and, and some things that are very good, but um, but that that would go that'd be a secular pipeline. Okay. Um, and so that's actually a threat of a different type to pregnancy centers because CareNet Peninsula is not we don't take government funds. I'm not accountable to any particular government administration. I'm accountable to the local church and the local Christians that support all of our ministry. Right. We're an overtly evangelical Christian organization completely dependent on the local church in the peninsula. Right. Um, and so in some ways I would see the secular pro-life movement as a bit of a threat mm-hmm. because like has happened with other Christian nonprofits that we might today not even think of as Christian, like the Y or the Salvation Army, mm-hmm. the mo- as you get larger and larger and larger and then start taking government funds, yeah. your, your incentive structures change. And you start before you know you know a couple decades of taking government cash. I don't think Carnet Peninsula would look like what it looks like today. I right. think it would look like an like a 
a Planned Parenthood that doesn't offer abortions, that wants to sort of get people into welfare and do all these sorts of things. And wow. uh, I don't completely disagree with all of their motives, but that would be a, that would be a secular pro-life movement that I, I actually wouldn't personally choose to be a part of. That's so interesting. Yeah, I guess the idea of a, of a secular... I don't know, the, secular, the, the idea of a secular pro-life mindset is interesting to me in general. Because I don't know how you get... Like, ultimately, I don't see a, I don't see a well-founded reason to, to support life, if not for a Christian worldview. Well, I guess it depends on how you define secular. Because the essence of secularism would be true. But for a long time... So, you could be a nominal Christian and still get there. The yeah. truth is, a lot of secularism actually leans into the Christian worldview in order to give it a moral framework. Because well, everything, complete, does, yeah. everything does. So the complete absence of, of any absolute morals is so chaotic that even, the, even atheists sort of for, are forced into making truth claims that, and making virtue claims that you're like, where are you getting all of these absolute morals from? Because it sounds a lot like God right. when you do that. So... Secular in that they they are not overtly religious. Okay. I guess practice, I understand what you're saying. But probably probably actually secular, but actually rooted in a, a Christian worldview, a 1970s version of secularism. Yeah, very fun. That is still sort yeah. of well, like secular, but probably still f sort of the Judeo-Christian ethic as their framework. Right. That crowd, that group, that mindset is is pro-life. Yeah. Or can okay. be pro-life. I understand that. I'm not sure that sort of uh, an atheistic or agnostic secular worldview as an ideology would necessarily get to a pro-life position. They may like pregnancy centers because we're, you could make a case we're it's more pro-choice. Well, you can make a case we're more pro-choice oh. than, uh, than Planned Parenthood. You, know, you know the abortion clinic refers clients to us. What? Yeah. When they, when they don't, they have our brochures in their lobby. Because they, don't wanna, because they don't do it. They don't, because they don't give care. No, no, no. They just want to do a board. They're a business. Oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> so dark. Well, I mean... It, well, it's dark. It's, it's honest. Not. It's dark because of the lies being told about the industry. Well, and it's dark because they are so fixated on one thing, which happens to be killing babies, that everything, anything else that doesn't fit that, they're, they're outsourcing. Right. And so it, it, it wouldn't be dark. I mean, it's dark because abortion is evil, but it wouldn't be dark if not for a media that simultaneously claims that they're the only ones that do true abortion counseling. So you have the media saying, pregnancy centers right. lie, they manipulate, they deal misinformation. You should send, women should only be allowed to even see the abortion clinics. And the abortion and clinics say, yeah, so we don't really do any abortion counseling. If you want an abortion, we'll give you We're an abortion. If you want abortion counseling, go to the pregnancy center. Oh that, that, that's the situation. That's insane. It's insane. I never would have bet that that was true. No, that's not every. That's not necessarily every abortion. Sure. But the one on New Jefferson, yeah. we, we sent somebody there one time, and our and our brochures were there. <laughs> that's incredible. And we every now and then, it's not not regular, but maybe once a month, we get a call from them that says that is a, a referral to us. Like hey, I was at the abortion clinic, and I wasn't sure, and they just said to come to you. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I never would have thought that.
I wouldn't call them our proponents. So those that no. are standing outside of that abortion clinic trying to prevent them from going in are doing are a great doing a service because yeah. they do want to sell them an abortion. But if they come in saying, before you sell me this abortion, yeah, like, can, we can talk I talk through? through? I'm a Christian. Should I still do it? They're going to say, uh, We're not your here, guy. talk to Alcove. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, that's mind-blowing to me. So it wouldn't be as mind-blowing to me if we didn't have to hear in the other ear, yeah. yeah, you're the liars that only. They're well, that's the only what I'm ones saying. It's mind blowing because every single thing that is that is handed down via corporate press and everything else is uh, pro-life organizations, people, anything is evil, and pro-abortion or pro yeah pro-choice is healthcare. Yeah. Yep. That's the world we live in. Man, that's bizarre. Do you have any any feeling that um, that there that there's a, any change towards like that, that there's a that there's a, a any meaningful shift towards a pro life mindset broadly speaking on a macro scale? Um. I mean, I'll say that the starting point is not overtly pro-choice. I mean, the, the, you've seen the data. You know, the viewpoints of Americans are, are convoluted. I guess that's fair, yeah. So some will say, you know, 80% of the country is pro-choice. Well, you, the Democratic Party platform is abortion up to birth. And only like 19% of, of the country sees that as, as good. And, and so if you talk about late-term abortions, uh, a six-week abortion and a 36-week and a abortion, the viewpoints are split. So my point is the starting point is not nearly as pro-choice as what is as presented. They, yeah. they lie about the clarity of the data. Sure. Um, what I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I, I will say this. It, it will be it will be fascinating to see how the Roe decision plays out because the Supreme Court and some of their marquee decisions has, for better or for worse, been a moral compass. Like it's been sort of a declaration of a moral that we now hold. You know, we we no longer segregate anymore, and we're going to we're forcing your hand, rightfully so, to, to that end. Right. Um, so what will be interesting is if, is it possible that the Roe decision actually gives people the moral ability to say, yeah, we didn't really like abortion that much in the first place. Uh, we, we just, it was a right in our country and we didn't, we didn't hate it enough to try and say overthrow the right. But now that it's not a right, it turns out actually a lot of people, didn't really like it in the first place. I think there's a possibility that that's true. I think there's a possibility that a post-row world suddenly looks a lot more pro-life because I don't. I think because you think more people than not are pro-life. Exactly, and so and so when the official position changes, you there's this right. group it's of people that are. Like, I say, go with the official position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It becomes way easier to say. Correct. Yeah, we're with that. I, so I think that that's possible, and I think the Supreme Court has uniquely been positioned to kind of 
steer the ship uh, in a, Lately, as a moral yeah. compass. Yeah. Well, I oh, mean, you mean in general? For all? Yes. More than even the legislatures have. Sometimes it's been true of the legislatures, unfortunately, in some cases. But a lot of cases. I, yeah, in a lot of cases. But I, I also think the Supreme Court, for better or for worse, right? I see what you're saying. They end up being a sort a, of the the gay marriage is a good example. Sure. I mean, you know that that was kind of like. Some support or whatever, and then all of a sudden the Supreme Court decision happened. And then massive support. And then now it's massively supported by Christians. Yeah. Yeah. But I actually think the Supreme Court's decision as sort of the moral arbiter of our society did impact broad support there. It'll be fascinating to see if it goes back in the other direction. We've had progressive morals of going in one direction, and so now we had a big movement the other way. Will you see a big number of people like, yeah... We're kind of going with the Supreme Court too, and, yeah, and this really is where we. Are. I never even thought about it that way, but that'd be that's interesting. So yeah, that'd be interesting to see. I I know Thomas was saying Clarence Thomas was saying in his dissent on uh, or in in his uh, concurrence on Donald versus Jackson and Health, he was saying that a lot of the other decisions were based in similar substantive decisive, due yeah. process. Right, substantive due process. Yeah. 14th Amendment. So you'll, you'll hear so people... It'll be interesting to see if, if he says... Because he called out uh, Obergefell and... Um, but not for the result, for the process. Right, not for the result. The, the, he, but because he's being misrepresented. Because he, well, of course he of is. Of course he is. But right, he's an originalist. So he's saying, I'm not here to be the arbiter of, of morality at of all. Of the goodness of gay marriage. Right, that I'm just here to role. say... I'm here to be presented a case... And decide which has constitutional validity. Which side? Which side of that are, that case has constitutional validity? And he's saying, yeah, substitute due process is not a thing. Yeah, and I agree with. I agree wholeheartedly. I, what what courage it is to to do that. And so. Oh yeah, he's the man. He is the man. Yeah. Yeah, it's been interesting to to watch because they've been passing down quite a few decisions. Um, the one about the EPA was was significant. Oh, I didn't even see that one. What is that? Well, there. I I don't want to speak too much to the details because I don't want to get it incorrect. But I'll say it this way: that what has happened in our country in the system of checks and balances, in my view, and I think you can make a a pretty clear case for this, is that the original intent was that you had a fairly small executive branch, you pass laws with the legislative branch, and then. You had this uh, the judicial branch decide if those laws were legal or not, or other things were legal or not, uh, constitutional or not. Well, the problem is they designed our system to make passing legislation difficult, which is good because that we we don't gridlock. We want gridlock because we want to make those decisions on a local level. Yes. So Texas can be Texas and California can be California. Right. But what maybe they didn't anticipate in our, our original system was the ability for legislate legislatures want to bypass their duty to create laws, delegate that to ever-increasingly large executive Hmm. bureaucratic organizations, and then let them have way more dominion over our day-to-day life than than it was ever intended. And, And so my understanding of the recent Supreme Court decision involving the EPA was a little bit of a a push on that idea that if you can't get global warming you know, if you can't get global warming legislation passed, 
Okay. Then all you have to do is just grow the size of the EPA and then get uh, the 50 plus one reconciliation bill for an extra seven trillion dollars. And then the and EPA then and then you get to accomplish your you're goal. Functionally, anyway. So you've yeah. functionally gotten where you want to go, but you bypass the legislature, the legislature to do it. Yeah. Uh, and I, that's not the way that our government should run. That's not the way the founders intended it. And this decision with the EPA that was was push back against that in a significant way. I'll have to look into that one. Yeah. It sounds really interesting. Yeah, they, he's been, they've been doing stuff with the 2A and, and Second Amendment and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah, no it's doubt. It's been interesting to see the, the movement in that direction. I'll be fascinated to see a little bit like the point I was making earlier. Will... Will the, will the judicial branches return to originalism that seems sustained, unless the left can pull off a, a court packing situation? Yeah. Will that... It seems to me the left has pushed way too far. Mm -hmm. They've gone from, do what you want in your own bedroom, to let's trans the kids. And well, that was the, that was the, tr the problem was they started with, do what you want in your own bedroom, with uh, uh, Griswold versus Connecticut. And that's where they got the... And then people said, you're going to keep going. And they said, and no, they we're not going to keep going. But they did, though. But they did keep going. And that's where we got Roe and Casey. Correct. And so I think both culturally and and sort of governmentally, they, they overstepped. And, and they went way too far. People don't want to trans their four-year-old. Right. And they don't want the EPA to dictate... They don't want to see what's happening in the Netherlands right now, which is that the EPA is, um, doesn't let farmers farm their own fields. Oh, gosh. Uh, and so I don't think people want that. I mean, there's massive support against those things. And so what will be interesting will be, will the, so like, as, as the Supreme Court moves more in an originalist direction, will the culture go back with it? Mm. Will the, if, the, if what we just saw in the last six months is a is a okay whoa, whoa, whoa come back this way you crazy kooks will the culture do that as well will the culture say no actually we're good we're we're going with clarence thomas this way for a little bit because you guys overstepped your bounds i don't know i don't know the answer to that i mean i, I think if your argument that that the that scotus operates in some capacity as a moral compass for the nation then you may i mean it may is it it could be that it's a compass or that it's a thermometer. I don't know. Right. Well, right. That's the question. Or both. Or, or I'm sure the degrees. Both. I'm sure the degrees. No pun intended. Degrees to both. Um, but it certainly seems. I mean, I think you you make a good argument that, especially with Obergefell, that they took that direction. I think illegitimately, um, and it became much easier to say, yeah. Sure, we're with that, because because the the highest court in the land said said yes. Right, you you get to delegate, you get to not have to make a hard moral decision. Right, that's what most people don't want to. That's actually true of abortion. Most people don't. That's why I don't think abortion is a winning issue for the left. You have you have an extreme group of people that see it as women's rights, and and they'll they'll win for them. But for most people. Abortion is a complicated moral issue, and, and, and like is often the case with, with humans, they don't want to... It's why I go to my pastor, right? It's yep. because the burden of a moral... It's why I'm a Christian, frankly. I don't want to have to wake up every day and decide what I think is right and wrong in the moment. I want to just be able to say, yeah, your system sounds good. I'm going to go with your system. Yeah. 
I actually think people don't want the moral burden of deciding an issue like abortion. I, I think they want to be able to say, what it, well, you tell me. I, I don't want to deal with this. Is this right or wrong? Oh, and so now suddenly, if the Supreme Court says it's right, I think you're going to see some people say, okay, yeah, I didn't want to have to make this decision anyway. Yeah, Thank we'll you go, for we'll making it with what you said. Yeah, you said. <laughs> you're, you know... If we all go to heaven, or if we all go to you know be judged by God one day, you know you now I, I'm actually God. I'm officially delegating this to the Supreme Court. Yeah. We'll look at now. Now I'm not saying that theologically no, yeah, that's right, but right. but I do think people but like the relief. A, of I think the that's moral a fair assessment that, of that I, the Supreme Court provides. Um, yeah, I think it's a fair assessment of how how people operate. So you mentioned you're like going to your pastor and like obviously for for morality. That's why we're believers because we, you know, there's no other standard for morality in general. Um, it's the it's the Lord to whom shall I go moment. That that is that's why I'm a Christian. <laughs> when yeah. Peter's like, when he's like, this is a hard teaching. Where are you going to go? And Peter's like, uh, he surveys the scene. And he's like, I don't know. You, you've got the words of life. I'm going with you. I'm going with that. Right. So so if I were to reject all of the tenets of my Christian faith. The, the my belief system and how it informs me on abortion. I, I have surveyed the scene, and I'm good. Yeah, you're, the, everybody else's ideas. Sonny Hostin, yeah, actually your ideas are stupid, and and I don't think they're any good. And you are not compelling when you say we should just kill my disabled family members. That'd be easier. So that bad. doesn't compel me at all. It actually repels me completely. Kamala, <laughs> Kamala Harris had something similar in in you know in front of tons of people i forget what exactly she said but it was a similar thing like it's hard for some people people have have babies that are slow it's difficult it's like <laughs> so kill them that's good let's do that i mean the eugenist eugenicist arguments are at least more honest oh yeah I actually i actually respect more people that are the truth is the abortion industry or the abortion the pro-abortion side today they're more evil than they used to be, but they're more honest. Do you know who Cornell West is? Mm-hmm. He's the, got... Like, got the big yeah, afro. Yeah, and he's got very honest arguments against pro-life stances. I mean, I think he's evil in, in his thinking. But, but the safe, easy, and rare was was dishonest. It was always it was, a lie. It was a lie. It, accept, it accepted my moral paradigm to sort of say abortion's probably bad. Oh, it was like all a game. About it, but it was, it was a it lie. It was all a game. Along. It was like, it was saying... We, we stuck our finger in the wind. The wind's blowing towards Judeo-Christian morality. So we're going to couch this in safe, legal, and rare. But if pushed to answer the questions, well, why rare? And safe for whom? Like, We're not going to answer. Not they didn't answer. have an they answer. They didn't have an answer and they still don't. Well, now they don't need an answer. Well, now they don't. Now, they, now, they, now they've dropped. Now it's abortion on demand. Shout your abortion. Shout your abortion. Yeah, a moral good, right? Oh yeah, it's a it's a sacrament. It's a leftist yeah. sacrament. Yeah, so it's more honest. It's it, it, that has always been. But so in that in that regard, I respect people that are at least honestly drawing their conclusions. You you, but it's also shocking. It leads to we should just kill the disabled kids. <laughs> so at least you're oh, being yeah. honest, right? Like you don't want it's to terrifying. disabled children. What you're saying is terrifying, yeah. but at least you're not hiding. Or like. Poor people should just kill all their children. 
Okay. Yeah, you're poor, so kill your kids. It'll it'll help you save money. And if that persuades people, so the nice thing about the more honest argument is we can is it can at least be persuasive or unpersuasive on its merits and yes. not on your ability to disguise the truth. <laughs> right. It's not. Yeah. Exactly. That's good. Yeah. You're not. You're not. You're not winning the the conflict based on your ability to hide. Yeah. You're at least winning the well. You're saying this is not a human. Yeah, you're yeah, riding you're, it across your eight month pregnant your belly, belly, and you're saying, "Who's with me?" Right. Okay, well, that's always been what you thought. That's always now, that least, was that was a safe, legal, and rare. What was behind safe, legal, and rare? Yeah. So now, at least, we can say, "I think it's a human because it's kicking." <laughs> yeah, your your liver doesn't kick you. No. So I can see the heartbeat in your neck. Right. That's what. That's what. That's one of those. That's one of the best things about watching my wife get pregnant. Is like one of the coolest things. Well, I'd say the best thing about watching your wife get pregnant is that it's probably the probably about nine months, probably kind of early on in the process. But anyway, okay, thanks, Ryan. Right. Okay, uh, is is the when her like her jugular starts to like be at the at her at her very slow heartbeat resting heart rate, but then a very a very gentle like very fast my baby is. The heart Crazy. is influencing your blood flow. It's so cool. That is cool. It's fascinating. It's too bad you can't. It's too bad that, like, what a what a gift it is to be able to appreciate that for what it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Pregnancy. How many kids do you have? Four. Four. Yeah. Four kids. That's awesome. What about you? Three. Just had our third. That's right. Yeah, January. Is that it? No, hopefully not. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'd, like, we'd like to have more. Yeah, I mean, we want to. So our second and third were pretty close. They're like 16, uh, 18 months. No, I don't know. I'm not a math guy. They're close. So we're gonna wait a little bit for the to try again for a fourth. But yeah, we're excited. We, we have all girls. I would like to have a boy eventually. Although girls are phenomenal. I would, I would, I would have seven girls and be happy. Um. So one of the things I. I find when I talk to pastors in ministry or anyone in ministry, which I, obviously I recognize your job isn't necessarily expressly uh, uh, akin to, to pastoral ministry. Well, not it's not akin to pastoral ministry, but it is, I would, I would argue, a ministry in a way, in large part. It um, is a ministry. We, we, would, we would take that claim. Okay, I'll give you that claim. I was trying to talk around it, but... No, no, we're overtly so, in ministry. I mean, you are, we are overtly in ministry. We want, you know, I'll say it this way, and I want to hear your question. Pat, when you, do you know anybody that's become a Christian as an adult? Um, that's a really good question. A, a lot I mean, I know people, someone who, a lot of yeah, people are yeah. raised in Christian notes, but then I know usually, one guy. Usually, if you become a Christian as an adult, the it has hit the fan. Yep. your life is you're in a crisis moment. Mm-hmm. You can see where I'm going with this. You're in a crisis moment. There is a collapse, and you say, "Man, I got nothing. Like I'm, I'm grasping here, and I've got the world has let me down. Mm-hmm. I want to turn away from my sin. I'm going to turn to Christ." Yes. Well, that's we get five of those a day. Not all of them turn to Christ, but we the unique opportunity that pastors have at different points along the way in their ministry to to encounter someone sure. that is in a crisis moment that their world around them has collapsed. And they are right for for a turn away from sin and a turn to Christ. That is our that is like the premise upon which we exist as a ministry. 
So how, like, to what extent are you able to share the gospel with? To the fullest extent. Really? We probably, I don't want to say we share the gospel with every single client, because that, that may not be true. But that's why I don't want to, that's why I'm accountable to you and mm-hmm. your church, and I don't want to be account- accountable to yeah. the Virginia State Legislatures. Because then they have a different idea of what you should They be have saying. a different idea of what I should be saying. Yeah. Your idea of what I should be saying is much more aligned with what I would like to be saying. Sure. So my point is, in a, in a way, we, we, we meet clients, you know, when you're in that crisis moment, I, I don't know about you, but I still remember sermons pr- that were preached at a critical point in my life where oh, I was yeah. sort of at a turning point. And I remember like what was said when I thought I should not do this anymore and mm-hmm. I should do that. Right. And so your, your senses, right. Are on, are on 10 out of 10. Right. Well, that's who we, that's, we, we, our game is those moments. And so, to be that right, exactly. Thing. And so we want to be, I sometimes say, we want to be a warm lead generator for the local church. We are every day dealing with women in that moment. Not all of them are ready to turn from sin and turn to Christ, but they are all in a moment as an adult where, where they, by their own admission, are yeah. in a crisis point. They, they have failed or have been failed. And they need Jesus, and and many of them know that. I mean, and and we are we will tell them that look, there there is a solution for you, and that solution is not just to keep your baby, but actually to turn from your son and turn to Christ. Wow! And connect with the local church. You want to know what it's like to raise a kid without a without a father? It's not easy, but it's a lot easier when you have an entire church family 100%. that will love and care for you. Yes. So, uh, so that is so in a unique. In a unique way, I think we're actually really well equipped for ministry because we get the moments that pastors probably live for. Oh, we yeah. get them all day long. Every that's day. what you do. That's like that's we just. You, that's, that's, that's all your we do. That, that's yeah. like we literally are just that moment again and again and again and again. Yeah. So so in that way, I I, I loudly proclaim the title of oh, ministry. ministry. Okay, good. I was I don't know why I was talking around it honestly. Well, so I mean, in some conversations, you you know, I want to say we downplay it, but like, there are other functions that we do, like provide a free ultrasound to or an STI test to a woman in need yeah. that has value in other ways and frames of thinking. Yep. But the reason why we do that is specifically because we think the world has very little to offer this person, and that Christ and the church uh, will be uh, uh, will be the answer for her. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so the impetus, the impetus behind the question was that a lot of pastors or, or people in ministry I talk to, like so. So one of the, one of the reasons I like what I do as compared to the idea of ministry is that I know at the end of the day whether I've won or lost, and I've said that before to people, including my pastor. And I and one of the, I guess, common themes in in the life of a minister. Not, not necessarily just a pastoral minister, but a, someone in ministry, is that that's a fair, like victory is a fairly nebula, nebulous term. Mm. Do you find that to be the case with, with what you do? Or do you have a fairly solid metric to, to know? Well, I guess, yeah. Do you have a fairly solid metric to know whether you're, you're being successful? Yeah, so... Uh, Yes. So we're, we're actually, we have really good data. So that's actually a cool thing is that yeah. we have, and I'm pretty data or excuse me, I'm pretty data oriented myself. So like, I mean, we know, we classify our clients before they come in. We know all the concepts, we actually track the concepts that we shared with them. Like, 
Oh, wow. So, so we know how many women we talk to about faith wow. as a percentage of the number of women that come in to see us in the first place. And then we know what their mindset is, how, how likely they are, to, what they have described as their likelihood to, to have an abortion. We know that going in. We know that at the end. So we can know if they've changed their mind. We, we know if they connect to a local church. So, so data-wise, I can. it is nebulous, but maybe less so than what a pastor would you be because I can say, well, she came in, she was thinking this way, and then we met her baby. So yeah. she changed her mind. <laughs> uh, so, That's so cool. So yeah, it is cool. It, wow. It's actually one of the, f- f- we have those days that, that are really dark and sad and you think this is one of, like, one of the most evil situations you can imagine and we are now a part of it and it's tough and, e- and not easy. And then you have the days when a woman brings in her baby and That's says, fantastic. hey, this is my baby. Thank you. That's so and cool. And you're like, okay, we're good. We can That's keep going. So, so maybe more than past, maybe more than what pastors would feel who are dealing more in less clear spiritual Yeah, lens. you are you are dealing in a spiritual we have physical baby gospel, though. but you do have we a very have physical representation yes, right. of so, success. Yeah. So, um, you know, ministry tends to, you tend to have higher highs and lower lows. So, so we get to celebrate with yeah. a woman that chooses life and, and we meet her baby and she joins the church and we, we celebrate and we cry with her and, and are very happy. And then you have the woman who you think, I can't believe she did this. Like she, I know she's feeling convicted about her decision to abort this baby. She didn't want to do it, and she did it anyway. Wow. And she now she won't talk to us, even though the relationship was really strong and healthy. And but she now just, she feels she's in hiding because yeah. she feels guilty. And and so you know, I mean, you get yeah, you take those more personally than maybe what a business might. You know, when you get a great business deal or you lose a business deal, sure. some of those you take personal. But when you feel, you know, it, my staff definitely feels, it definitely feels like it goes way up and way down on some days. Wow. Sometimes in the same day. Sometimes you meet, oh, sure. you meet the baby of a client yeah. from nine months ago yeah. on the morning. And then in the afternoon, you hear terrible news about the world's most difficult situation with the 13-year-old client in the afternoon. And you're just like, you know. Yeah, you're, you're just on overload. Yeah, I mean, you're just like I can't take another ounce of emotion right now. Man, what is what's the average age of of would you say of your client? Uh, twenty to twenty-four. Okay. Mm-hmm. So pretty young. Yeah, pretty young. And we get we get teenagers. I mean, we get minors, but maybe ten percent under say seventeen is is low low, like in the single digits. But under under nineteen is probably. Ten percent. I'd have to check. Yeah, we have the data. I can tell you the exact. Well, number. yeah, I just yeah, I'm just curious. But twenty to twenty four, twenty to probably thirty two are probably eighty percent of our clients. And in terms of of women who come in, sorry, birthing persons. Mm. That's a little bit of a joke. Who come Thank in you. and uh, did you see the mugshot of the guy in Canada that looked like you? It was a woman in Canada. No, I heard about it. I have looked a, just like you yeah, and said this woman, woman is at large. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't seen it. It's like straight out of an office episode. I mean, it's like Dwight Schrute's mugshot. Like, <laughs> yeah, have you the, seen this woman? Hitler's and head. you're like, well, no. No, that's kind of a dude. That's Dwight <laughs> with his with his Hitler's. I heard, I heard. I think it was actually Daily Wire. I heard some promo of, of some one of their one of their pundits that were going to do. It. That you know the, the today's report was part of, partially on that, and I didn't end up listening to it. But 
Yeah, I heard. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. And the news article a, a couple weeks ago about the woman who was, if you have kids in the room, my apologies, the woman, the woman, quote unquote woman who was molesting a, uh, what was it, like a mop, like a rolling mop uh configuration like you know you talk you know those rolling things those rolling mop things that you have in the shopping malls <laughs> she was oh yeah apparently she was molesting it and had her penis out in the mall <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> what are we doing <laughs> that was in the news article in like the washington post or something stupid yeah um they left for the, the train has left reality the train right? yeah we have we are out to lunch so that helps us I, I mean when Planned Parenthood oh, yeah, same says more. are you a woman that that actually helps us because we don't ask that question we yeah you're you pregnant take, we know you what you are take it for granted that yeah, if you yeah, have so. a baby in your womb you're not a dude um oh the question I was going to ask no I forget what I was going to ask I shouldn't have made the joke I lost my entire train of thought you made a you made I a you made a birthing person oh joke. I made a birthing <laughs> uh my the question was do you, do you know how many um, women who come in change from abortion-minded to having a baby? Mm-hmm. What's the statistic on that? So, so I'll, I'll start you off on... I'll go all the way down the line. Roughly speaking, it's not perfect, but roughly speaking, it halves all the way down. So, like, there are... When I, I said before, there are about 3,000 women facing unplanned pregnancy... That stat comes from the number of women that are pre- they get pregnant on the peninsula. About about third, it's the the latest stat. Although the stat is old at this point, but the the latest stat is thirty eight percent of pregnancies in Virginia were unplanned. So that's not quite half, but so you got a number of pregnancies. You got the unplanned pregnancies. That's about three thousand. Okay. About half of those end in abortion. Okay, roughly about half of the ones that don't come and see us. So we're going to see about 800 clients this year. Um, and about half of our clients are, are uh, abortion-minded or vulnerable. So mm-hmm. we'll see 800 clients. About half of them are in need but are still planning to keep the baby and we will care for them. The other half are actually considering an abortion or very much considering an abortion. And then about half, half of, those, of those, so a couple of 400 or so, well, that'd be 200, 200 or so, yeah. we can, con- they'll confirm with us that they've kept the baby. Wow. So it doesn't lie, you know, I have to go look at the exact stats, but yeah, roughly, but that a rough that, that's a good, that's a good uh, kind of rule of thumb. Wow. Well, I'm grateful that you guys are here. You know, there's another interesting number, I know we're probably wrapping up, but there's a... Well, we can go, we can go... Well, I'll tell you a, an, an interesting way, I've, I think interesting way, I've started to look at it. You can, we actually can, I can give you, I know how much you value a human because, so what's interesting is I know how much we spend per life saved. So, so it, 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 in a weird way, pregnancy centers give, pregnancy monetary centers value. generate a monetary value on the life of a human because, huh. because I know what our, I know what our expenses are for a year and I know how many babies that we save. Sure. And that is an interesting number because then I can compare that number to, say, an actuary that has to evaluate the value of a human life. Um, so, for example, if you look at COVID policy, the valuation on a human life was, was like tens of millions of dollars. It was, so when you think, we're going to do this COVID policy, 
And then how many lives will it save if we do that? <laughs> and then you can do a number and you can say, okay, we saved 100 lives and how much did that cost? And you can get a, it's kind of a crass way of thinking about it, but you do have to, oh, policy making. It's a fascinating way of thinking about policy it. Policy making requires that type of calculation yeah, of because you don't have unlimited money. And so right. you have to, you can save 10 lives over here or 100 lives over here for $100 million. Which you, makes more sense. You're going to choose the one that saves more lives, you suppose. So anyway. The number that I've heard as a rule of thumb, if you Google like how much is a human life worth, you could find some answers to this. It's about $10 million. Policymakers will make decisions and save lives, and you'll see that number about $10 million. We we are, we get a be- we give you a better deal than $10 million. I would hope Seeing so. It, <laughs> correct. My budget is <laughs> under is right around a million for the year, and so it's about 10000 for a human life. So, okay. so we can save a life for about 10000 bucks. A little less, but uh, right around there. So to me, that's a fascinating number to think that. So you want to, so when when people say you don't care about lives or whatever, that there is actually an actual number that we could say. Here's our expenses. Here's how many babies that we can confirm we save. Yeah. The truth is, the number is actually a little higher because we get many women that probably do choose life for their baby. But they just don't. Confirm they just it. never. It's nine months later, and they never get back to us. Yeah. But at minimum, the number is right around ten thousand. Wow. That's so interesting because, I mean, it doesn't. It's not necessarily an actual thing, but to to say that they they're willing to spend so much more money on human life, and they're the ones that are in favor of abortion. It's just so ironic that they're like, we'll spend ten million dollars per life, but also kill your baby. Like the they right. monetarily it, on paper, it looks like they value life a whole lot more. Uh, or, or, or to put it in another way, if every year though in the daily press they'll publicize the amount of money they spend per student for a year at the at Newport News Schools. That number is over. That number is more than what we spend to, to save to a save a baby. So we get a. I mean, this sounds a crass. This isn't necessarily a big driver for me, but yeah, it is interesting. interesting. It's yeah. comparable to other things, and I think we get a pretty good deal. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah, that's that's actually fascinating. I would be interesting to see what that number is for other for other fields. Um, I would as well. I, I don't have like a yeah. The only one I ever found was was an actuarial number related to public policy, in particular COVID policy. Uh, but I would imagine that probably varies pretty drastically based on. Uh, who knows? Oh, there's so many factors, I'm sure. Did you guys, did your daily operations suffer quite a bit with COVID or was it? Uh, Initially, we were, we had an increase because Planned Parenthood shut down and we didn't. (laughs) So so we got, but then once, you you know, we have a lag. So if you shut everybody down and leave them at home, six weeks later, they're still going to have unplanned pregnancies that they, that they found. So, so early on in the pandemic, we were busy. Then we then 2020 as a whole, though, there was a 12-month period there. It would have been our, our slowest 12-month period for a long time. Okay. But during that same time, we were beefing up. We, we were improving our operation pretty aggressively. And so then now we've... Now you're grown over, significantly yeah. and now are, are much at a much higher level so it's hard to know how much COVID was a part of that yeah because a lot the truth is several things are happening at once so we had COVID we had the governor undo back in 2020 there was a, there was some laws in Virginia that that he that he undid like 
the requirement to have an ultrasound. Oh yeah, he was a nut for abortion. Yeah, exactly. And so we provided ultrasounds for free, and they were required until 2020 when he said they're not required anymore. So that I would imagine that didn't help our business. No, he couldn't have. COVID didn't help fewer people interacting. But then at the same time, we were thanks to your church, thanks to you and others, our our financial position changed to where we could do. And Amanda Franks, who you know as well, who's a yeah, wonderful a marketer. She's so, she's so good. She she may be the best pregnancy center marketer in the country. I, I would actually oh, I would. She is. I've seen her work. So, it's phenomenal. So she designed my logo. My logo for her work. Yeah, well, I, you've you've <laughs> gone with the right person, and you better not pay her more than I do. But uh, but anyway, she. All that to say is, at the same time as some negative pressure was happening in our organization, we were growing in our online presence aggressively and, and effectively. Yeah. So then once we got out of COVID, we really pop and saw the fruit from that. So I don't know. So I don't know when I was back in 2020, yeah. there was like two things going this way and a couple things going the other way. And it shook out. It was a down year for us overall, but then that we more than made up for that. When did you, when did you start with Karen? Uh, 2019, April, I mean, oh, so right April, 2019, we've literally had crisis after crisis. Three months in, the, my board chair unexpectedly died. So, oh, I remember, remember that. Remember that? Barry Hellman. Wonderful man, godly man. And then he just got brain cancer. And then he, was oh, in, and then he died. Like, right away, we went in like a coma. And, and it was Garrett really tragic. Garrett, Garrett was on the board like two months. And then they were like, Garrett, you be the board chair. I mean, it was Gosh. under difficult circumstances. Then, right after that, COVID hit. Yeah. Then, right after that, they changed the abortion laws. And so, anyway, I mean, I don't. It's we've been great through it all, but how did you how did you even get into the like were you doing similar work before that? I worked at ICM before that. Do you know International Cooperating Ministries? Have you ever heard of them? They build churches oh. all over the world, based in Hampton. Yeah, they're right there by Home Depot. Uh, by the Spare Times Bowling Alley is where their headquarters is. If yeah. you know where that is, in the corner of Mercury and Armistead. Yeah, yep. So I, I work for them. I work. So I did work. I worked. At Christian nonprofits in the past, uh, Mark Lee is a, a personal friend. He was the chair of the CareNet board. Okay. And so, so I thought he was going to ask me. We would talk sometimes about nonprofit type stuff. Yep. And I and then one day he said, "Let's go to lunch." And I thought he was going to ask me more of the same. And instead, he asked me if I was interested in being the chair or being the, the director. The director. And uh, so I was a donor at the time, and then. That was it. Was right around the time when all those crazy Planned Parenthood videos were coming out, where they were like chopping up, like the like unbelievably oh, disgusting. I'm not sure I saw videos. I know the, I the Daniel, where they're like selling the baby parts. Oh, and came out Project Veritas. Project Veritas. Yeah, and all yeah, that. yeah, yeah. The Daniel, uh, I can't remember his name. Dan, he went into jail for a while for they in California, but oh. there was a season where where it was like exposed Planned Parenthood, and they. He had all the sting operation videos of, Gosh. so it was right at that time, and I was like, I remember talking to my wife and being like, "Yeah, this is like this is this is the moral, this is the blight on my generation." Yeah, let's move, let's go for it. Like, like why not? Uh, and I was really disgust. I was like a new level of disgust when I would see the, the way that they dealt with these things. So, so that that impacted my decision to move yeah. to move over to CareNet. Wow. And three years in, how are you? How are you feeling about the position, man? We, 
You know what, devil? What else you got to throw at us? Come on, you got yeah, the already. pandemic. <laughs> you got senators trying to shut me down. Yeah. You, you, we've built up an online presence that may completely collapse. We bought a building like three weeks ago. So we're, oh, we're, yeah. gonna, we're about to move into a new building. So, That's fantastic. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, I'm kind of like, is that all you got? Yeah. Uh, we have a great team. Uh, the clinic team is. I work with fourteen of the uh, of the most amazing women missionaries wow i mean they're really great at what they do they they're some of the wisest kindest you know i mean if i they're all listening to this so so keep talking well they may all be listening to this they are they're really awesome so they they make they make my job easier well you guys are clearly a very effective team i mean on a broad scale but the whole the whole karen peninsula team is clearly very effective because you've been doing some good work and growing quite a bit yeah, so, you know, sometimes with leadership, you survey the scene and you think, I just need to get out of the way. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I just need to say, Amanda, you've been unchained. Yeah, do that. Do the thing that you do, and then and then beautiful representations of our ministry result. And yeah. so that's true across the board for every position. We have a really talented team, so that makes... You know that allows me to be able to deal with crazy crises that come along and that, go political. That I that I that I don't have to I don't have to worry about whether or not the clinic's going to be there tomorrow. I, I can worry about what Mark Warner's trying to say about us because I know we've got a great director that's going to lead the team really well. So. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, thanks for doing this. Yeah, man. I really appreciate it. This was a good a good conversation. Well, great. Well, anytime. I, yeah. I like. Yeah, we should do it again for sure. Well, anytime you think. You want to hear something I have to say? I'll I'll come and say. Yeah, I mean we don't have to talk about CareNet stuff either. I, I mean you're an interesting guy, and uh, I enjoy talking to you. Well, let's do it, man. I like, you know, I, I and there and some alternative. War- I, I actually started a podcast. Did you really? We had more we had more producers than we had listeners. Oh no! Oh, shoot. Yeah, that's not a good. Uh, no, it was. Uh, do you know Cody Bumpus? Me and Cody recorded two podcasts. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> no, Cody Bumpus. Uh, Falling with Style. That was the we name. have a, we have a great name and a great concept. That's a great name. What's the concept? Falling with Style. It's from Toy Story. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not. So I'm not. Fl- I'm, I'm not flying. I'm, I'm falling, falling with Style. Hundred percent. Okay, and it was about about our failures and what we've learned in areas like business and life and parenting and fatherhood and stuff. That's awesome. <coughs> How old is this uh, venture? So, well, it's dead. <laughs> the okay. venture has venture died. Is dead. <laughs> the venture li- was a. It was a very short life. Oh no! But uh, conceptually, I still believe. I that think it's it a great good, concept. But, yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, me. And, so we we did our our two episodes. That's a great concept. Why did it die? I like that concept a lot. I like I like what you're learning from failures. That's phenomenal. Yeah, so that's that was our idea, uh, but I don't know. I don't really know. That I had a reason why we died. Probably that I didn't have the time. Well, well yeah, that's it's definitely a time commitment. Uh, so my, you know, I'll actually say this. This is probably beyond the scope of the podcast, but I can edit it out if you want. Well, no, you you can post it. If I say it, you can post it out there. We'll see what people say. But <laughs> I um, I actually had somebody who's who might be a listener. Actually, so, 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 I don't know that you know, but but you definitely have a connection to him. Okay. But uh, I, I've always been a verbal processor, mm-hmm. and so I like. Anyway, it's just how I sort out my ideas is through dialogue, and that's annoying sometimes 
for people that listen to me, and other times it's not because I might have something interesting to say. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I, I have had a, I've had a couple people, and then one person say, you know what, you should do a podcast, even if you have no listeners, because it would be a way for you to. Oh yeah, that's cool. Like like. But basically, the person was sort of flattering. I don't say this to like flatter myself, but he was like, you know, the way that you spoke about this really like help, like you sorted it out in a way that was helpful to me. Mm-hmm. You should just post it online. No one may listen to it, but like just do it because it's, it actually is a, a talent of yours. You should just go through the process and do it and, and do it just for the sake of doing it. Yeah. If no other reason. But anyway, you didn't do that. Well, I did it for two episodes. Yeah, <laughs> and then we. So anyway, I, I there's this part of me that thinks like I should do that. I should like fulfill that idea. I think he's right about that. I like to do that. I, you know, if even one person could hear something I had to say and think it was worth the time they took to listen to it, then that's a good thing. But yeah, it's a I weird ha- podcasting is a weird thing. Like, so this started as a video, uh, thing, just me talking to the camera. Um, very much a la Daily Wire stuff. But I'm not... Those guys are super talented and very intelligent. I'm not that. So, uh, I think it was fun. I, I enjoyed it, but I don't think anyone else really enjoyed it. But, so so gradually, it came into my mind that, like, well, conversations are way more interesting. So that's what this became. And the original, the original name for the podcast was going to be Fathers, Sons, and Brothers... Because um, I wanted to focus on like family life and, and what that looks like as a Christian and that kind of thing, but um, it just became it became what it is. And like podcasting is weird because it's like who I don't know. I I ask myself all the time like why do I think anyone wants to listen to these conversations? Like they're just me talking to having a conversation that I enjoy. But who knows? Right. Like, like why is why do I think anyone else will enjoy that? But yeah, like there is an aspect of, of processing things and and learning things. And um, like when I talk to someone that on a particular subject that I want to research before we talk, it forces me to read more mm-hmm. and like think through things and then verbalize those things, which, are, which is like you said, that's how you process ideas. That's a whole other aspect. Like you can read books and think through things, but I often find that being able to talk through it articulately really forces you to be able to distill the central mm-hmm. ideas of what so I, I, so, why I like being a father because I, oh, yeah. I have to I have to I mean I do that every day I How do that every day my, my oldest son is 11 okay sure. and he's and he's a pretty thoughtful little kid like I can have like pretty adult conversations with him so awesome. but I actually like that because I have to yeah. like help him think through an issue so I have to both understand the issue internalize it and then be able to articulate it to an 11 year old i love that i think that's yeah like, I, the whole process there i'm, I'm totally there for 100 yeah my oldest is four and i often find myself talking to her trying to help her understand something and like halfway through thinking i don't i don't know what i'm talking about hold on let me let me back up and then i'm talking to a four-year-old it's like okay well, you've got three girls man well, i don't know what i'm saying so the idea of logic you, you better not record this. The idea of logically reasoning with, with those woman. girls <laughs> and and processing the rationality of a decision with them, if you... I'm not sure that's in your future. I, that's, that's the Dude, problem. Dude, they're so I have, I have my son that I do this with, and then I'll take a strategy I've used with my 11-year-old son. And try to apply it. And I'll try it to my 9-year-old sister, and, or my, my 9-year-old daughter, and, and then she's... 
completely collapsed into a puddle of tears within 20 seconds. And I think, we're, wait, how did, why, why are we here? I don't understand. Yeah, it's weird. I've got to learn a little bit about how to relate to, to my daughter better. Yeah, it's weird only having girls. Like, I, there's, you know, I don't know anything else. So it'll be interesting if we ever have boys and realizing that, like, this emotional thing, this, this ball of emotion is different than... Well, and I think sometimes it's funny because I have an all-female staff, and they, my female staff, more off, in a, in a scale of a hundred to one, will make like the well, the where we're women, so you dot dot dot. You know, I don't make that. So if anybody ever makes that claim within our staff at CareNet, me being the only male, it's not me. I'm right. not the one that's like, well, you're a woman, so you're not going to understand this. It's them it's that them. will say. Well, <laughs> so they, like, they lean into the stigma. They, they lean into the stigma way more than I do. And so I don't I actually would say my son in particular in the, rationalizes things in the way that I do. And then my daughter in particular processes information in different, completely differently than I do. Sure. And so I've struggled. Like I often find myself using a strategy I've used for James and then I go to Penny and I... And it doesn't yield the same result. Penny, what she's a wonderful. Sweet name. She, she's a wonderful girl. She yeah. she actually just today wrote me a long letter about oh, how man. wonderful I am. No way. <laughs> so whatever. That's what. We, but so Dude. she's she's truly wonderful. But there are those moments where I think I don't know how to. I'm trying to tell you the thing that James would have said. I understand, Father. Compliance, like yeah, I have yeah. I have comprehended the information you have shared with me. I've internalized it, and I will apply it correctly in my life. Right. That that doesn't happen, and so I think what I don't know what to say. <laughs> I don't know what to do this woman. Yeah, I often find myself like so. We'll be I'll be explaining like repentance or something. I mean, to the extent that a four year old can understand repentance, because she she says often like, I just try to be good all the time, and I can't be good. I just try so hard, and I can't do it. It's like that's the whole point. Yeah, young lady, nailed it. <laughs> yeah, nailed it. You nailed it. So like, we'll explain to her like. Yes, this is the state of humanity before holy God. We are inherently sinful. God is holy and just, which means we are all, you know, all the whole thing. And it's like, but, but I, so often it's like, I'm stumbling over my words because she's four. And she's like, well, what does penal substitutionary atonement mean? Like, that doesn't register with a four-year-old. You know, so do you use the catechism? Yeah, we do catechism. That, that's the, that's it the helps quite a thing bit. I ever did. Yeah, yeah, it helps quite a bit. So my so, four-year-old has no clue about any of those things. She knows the words. Well, that's the thing. My four-year-old can say the words, but and sometimes I'll be like... I don't get there. The, the, the words are... Getting the mind first is easy because there's nobody else filling their mind with anything. Yeah. The so like one of the most recent questions is what did Jesus... Uh, oh. oh, I What can, did Jesus do through the covenant of grace? So like that's obviously applicable when she says... Well, I try to be obedient, but I can't be. Like, well, what did you do through coming to grace? Do you do the kids' catechism? I do a mix. I've because the kids' catechism is fantastic. I'm gonna quiz the, you. The um, who made you? God. What else did God make? Everything. God made all things. Why did God make you in all things? Uh, for His own glory. Uh, how can you glorify God? Uh, uh, loving Him and obe- and doing what He commands. All right. Okay. There we go. So. My, those are, pro- you just said probably 20 of my kids' first 25 words. Oh, yeah, same. It's same. hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they literally, that's the only words. Same with my kids, yeah. And they have no idea what they're saying. My no, they don't know. not even three yet. But this but is the just, thing, he like. He says the words. Yeah, and like, Eva doesn't know what she's saying. But like, like, what is atonement? 
that Jesus get, satisfied the wrath of God and died, died for the sins of his people, died on the cross for the sins of his people. Like she can, she knows that. Yeah. And so like, if I can say none of us are, she knows also who sins, uh, all sin falls short of the glory of God. What is our only hope that we belong to God? So like she knows all have sinned. So what is our only hope we belong to God? What does that mean? Atonement. Jesus died on the cross for, or Jesus satisfied the wrath of God and died on the sins for the sins, died on the cross for the sins of His people. Like so, those are all applicable things. When she says, "I try to be obedient to you and Mama, but I can't do it," but she's not going to connect. All but she doesn't connect with that. So like trying to, trying for the life of me, like for all that I am, trying to make some connection to the gospel to my four-year-old. And obviously, I'm not saying like. Well, again, I'm not saying like, well, he was, it was, his death was propitiatory. Like, she doesn't know, you know. So, like, but, but trying to, for the life of me to help her understand that, like, it's okay that you're not obedient all the time. Papa's not obedient either. I need to repent just as you need to repent. Like, you're falling with style. I'm falling with style. We should end it there. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right, man. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs>